Welcome to School Facilities and Operations. I'm Burke Jones, and I'm the host of this podcast, where every week we talk about um, facilities, maintenance, operations, and the care of our school buildings, uh, primarily in the K-12 arena. Uh, I'm the Director of Operations at our district, so I oversee uh, food service, transportation, um, custodial and maintenance and grounds. Uh, so I kind of get the whole, the whole gambit of taking care of our buildings and, buildings and taking care of our facilities. So we have a couple different types of shows. Um, one is I invite one of our trade partners uh, on to talk to us about things we need to know as we're looking at projects, whether that be a new roof or, or paving project. Um, anything you can think of where we would hire a contractor to help us, we bring them on and really um, get a lot of education from them. The other types of episodes is I have other um, people like myself in similar roles and we just have a great conversation about things they're working on, what gets them excited to come to work, and uh, how they're taking care of their buildings. So today I actually have a colleague on here. Uh, Matt Liston is our District Safety and Security Officer at the district I work at. Um, so welcome, Matt. Hello. Um, so we thought we would just have a conversation about um, kind of school safety and security. But Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, kind of your background, how you got to this position and, and some of the things you're kind of working on in that role. Okay. Um, again, my name is Matt Liston. Um, I'm actually a retired police officer with uh, the city of Derby. Uh, the majority of my career I spent either as a school resource officer or as a supervisor of a school resource officer unit that we had at, at the Derby Police Department. So about uh, almost 20 years of my almost 28 year career I spent uh, working in the schools. Okay. Prior to that, I was United States Marine, um, served with the 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines. Uh, so kind of led into, I always knew I wanted to be a police officer, had no idea I wanted to work in schools. Um, but I was kind of talked into it and found out that I absolutely loved it. Um, and I also got involved uh, with the Kansas Association. I'm the founding member of our state SRO association. Me and another guy from Kansas City area started that state association uh, back in the in the mid 90s. Um, and uh, then I went to work for the National Association of School Resource Officers. And I've trained school resource officers from all over the United States. I think I've been in almost every state couple of international trainings as well. And then I sat on the board of directors uh, for NASRO for six years as well. So I have a lot of national connections um, and go all over the country and teach, um, which I really enjoy. Uh, I like training, training cops. I like police officers, obviously. Um, when I was getting ready to retire, um, the superintendent here, who was a seventh grade teacher, my first year as an SRO was her first year as a teacher. And I taught in her classroom a lot. And when she found out I was retiring, she reached out and said, would you be interested in this position to help kind of keep the school safe and procedures and things like that? And I thought, kind of feel like I was doing the same job. Now I'm just on the other side of the fence. Um, no body armor, no gun, but uh, kind of feel <laughs> like I'm doing the same thing. So, uh, and I really, actually, I really enjoy it. And I like working for this district, so. Yeah, well, I feel like we're fortunate to have you and to have that type of position because your role overlaps with some of the stuff I do. Um, and I know you've given me a lot of good ideas. So we're just going to kind of talk about how that overlap happens and what we can do as operations guys to like um, make our schools safer and more secure. 
and a lot of the stuff is really cheap. So let's just kind of dive into some ideas and some and begin a conversation. Well, you know, the guys that are listening that do what you do, um, they they have to understand how important or their role is in school safety. And then they probably don't think of that. They probably don't think that, well, that's, you know, I'm doing paving and I'm, I'm making sure stuff gets fixed and I'm, you know, supervising janitors, whatever that might be. But the the operations of building and, and the maintenance of things has, has a lot to do with school safety. Um, one of the things that my favorite class to teach at the national level is I, I teach a crime prevention through environmental design class. Um, and when I was with the police department, I was the guy that would go out to your house and I'd walk around your house and say, you know, cut your shrubs here and add a lock here. And I would do that a lot for the police department. I did that for businesses. I did that for homes. Um, but I got all of that working in schools because the concept of, of SEPTED in schools is, is like a perfect example of things that you can be doing uh, to ensure safety by the things that you guys do every day. Yeah. So I know we've talked a little bit about it, but like you talk about cutting bushes and that kind of thing. So is it a good idea to like have someone come out with some training and just and like walk the property and and say like, look, I've in the past I've caught somebody hiding behind that thing. <laughs> or is that the right. idea? Right. I mean, well, I've got lots of stories about how we've gone out and done assessments all over the country. And I got a story out of Riverton, Wyoming, where he had a problem with smokers behind these trees in a, an old shed. And they took the shed out and cut the trees down because there was not a lot of use. And literally there were there were kids smoking in the spot the next day with completely uncovered by anything. And the SRO and the principal were like, what are you guys doing? You know, so they <laughs> didn't even realize that the trees weren't even there because they were so used to that being their smoking spot. Uh, that they were able to see them across campus uh, smoking where the trees in the old shed used to be. So, you know, little things like that that are kind of funny stories of um, things that can be done to increase those sight lines and what we call in crime prevention called natural surveillance. And, and we do that with um, the outside of the building, but we also do that on the inside of the building with asking teachers to be in the, in the passing period, to be in the hallway. Because that kid that's going to get bullied is going to wait for that one teacher that's never out in their outside because they're on um, Instagram or whatever the heck they're doing during passing periods, they're supposed to be in the hallway. And that's when that kid, you know, pushes that kid or flicks them in the ear. It's kind of what that bullying stuff starts. So that's natural surveillance as well. That's why if you come onto our campuses, you see the principals and the SROs out at every passing period, out at every lunch. Uh, and that's what we're doing, trying to create that natural surveillance. Right. Exterior buildings, you know, we do it by making sure the sight lines for trees. So what I teach is the six foot, two foot rule. And the six foot, two foot rule is no trees, limbs will be below six feet and no ground cover will be higher than two feet. Okay. And that creates that perfect sight line across your campus. And the six foot, two foot rule is for homes, businesses, schools. It's the six foot, two rule for anywhere. So that's kind of what, what I teach is the six foot, two foot rule. So that's, that's really interesting. What about like outside lighting and that kind of thing? Yeah, that's another thing I think we're, you know, some some businesses fail. And I, I speak to the Chamber of Commerce here in Derby a lot. I used to do when I was a police officer, but I, I'm still doing it. And I say to the business owners, when's the last time you've been out at your business at night? And I get a lot of, well, yeah, I kind of get there after the sun's up and I leave before the, yeah, I don't, I don't know how well lit my business is. So I encourage them to go look. And I think sometimes with schools, we get that way too. We, we don't really go and look at night 
of what it looks like unless there's a volleyball game or a basketball game and people are leaving. Um, right. so early on in this position, it was one of the things, you know, I worked seven years, a third shift, you know, I, I was used to being out there at night. And so I would go at spring break or wherever, when we were out of school and I would go and drive around campuses at night, um, and, you know, see where, Hey, we got some bulbs out or we have too many bugs that have accumulated inside the lenses. You know, that's an easy maintenance thing right there. You just right. clean the lens and man, your light is 50% brighter because of that. Um, and then the technology of lighting has changed a lot. Um, with, uh, you know, all the different types of sodium highlight and all these, you know, different kind of lights that you have it, you know, led is the, is the, is the cure to all of that now. Right. Um, uh, the term we, we look at and it's called color ren rendering index. What's the color rendering index? And it needs to be at least 70 to be a good light and led provides that. Um, and it's not, and you know, what I get a lot too is from SROs and school administrators is, is they're looking at their, their surveillance cameras at night or even businesses. And they were like, man, this just, the, the, the footage is terrible. Like, I can't tell who's who I got a bad camera and 90% of the time it's not the camera. It's the lights. Yeah. Once we changed to the led lights, man, our camera systems were much better. They were much more clear. We easily identify people. So lighting has a lot to do with your video surveillance systems as well. Yeah. I think we took a picture, you took a picture of like an entry to our high school and half the lights, like on one side of the sidewalk had been upgraded to LED and the other side hadn't. And just in that photograph, you could just see the difference between the light of the LEDs versus the light of the old orangey, yellowy right. light bulbs. Yeah. I actually gave that, that photo to NASRO and they actually have it in one of their training slides. Nazro, it's like the main picture that comes up to show the difference. So they're they're yeah. using that photo actually as a as a training tool for new SROs as well. So that's fantastic. So I guess a little bit more like around the perimeter of our buildings. I know we have all of our openings numbered and that kind of thing. But maybe talk a little bit about why that's a good idea and how that would be used. Okay. So we do, we, and we've had it for a number of years. And it's one of those other things too, where um, I, I'm going around now and kind of looking at the door numbers that just currently, I'm just one of the projects that I'm working on. And um, some of them are just faded or, or gone and we just need to replace them. And it's, it's easy vinyl. It's a lot of your um, classroom teachers that teach class with vinyl and things, they can make those numbers for you. It's not very expensive to do the vinyl. Right. So if you look at, Derby High School, for example, and you tell me what's the square footage of Derby High School? Would you to guess off the top of your head? Oh gosh, hundred thousand square feet. Yeah, somewhere in that range. So, being probably what the largest square footage high school in the state of Kansas, if if we had a a student, let's say that had a seizure, we have a student having a seizure in you know downstairs in Q Hall, which you know it's a very large building, and you tell EMS, and they come in the front door. Now they got to go downstairs, two sets of stairs. They've got to go down another hallway, figure out where you are. And then when they take the patient out, they got to go all the way back up. Right. So by numbering these doors, we can tell paramedics or fire, say, hey, we need you to come in door 17 because you're 10 steps away and don't have to go downstairs to get to the patient. Right. So um, SROs in, in a fight with a student or something, and they're saying, I need some backup. I need some help. Um, come in door you know, 13 or 18. And so that helps first responders get to where the situation is faster instead of having to run through a 300,000 square foot building trying to find out where you are. Right. So 
more for first responders than it is uh, anything else. So from your experience, if if I dial 911 and I tell the 911 operator, like, we're by door 17. Right. They'll just tell the first responders to drive around the building till they find door 17. Till they find like door 17. side of the building or whatever. Right. Like one of the things you and I worked on this year and I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up now is we're doing new maps. And so when I get those done, uh, we'll, we'll submit those to 911 and it'll go in their MCT. So fire EMS police, when they're responding to a call, they, they have a computer in their car. And so they can pull those maps up right on the fly and look at those maps. Oh, so, okay. And that way they, they know what number, they know where to go the east side, south side, whatever that might be. They can already know where to go because they can see the map of the school. Okay. Okay. That's super cool. Do you think most 911 systems have that kind of ability? They do. Anybody with an MCT, they can load in there anything they want. Um, so a lot of them will get as many maps as they can. So if you think of an active shooter situation and they're having to respond and they need floor plans in the command post, that's when they're going to pull that up. Um, okay. So if, if we, heaven forbid, had an active shooter event here in Derby, that's what they would pull up in the command post to show what hallway, how to execute that. Because that was a big problem with Columbine. Um, another thing is I study almost every school shooting there's ever been. Um, right. I learn from, I try to learn from it and try to get others to learn from it. And we've learned a lot around the country from the school shootings that happen. I tell everybody I'm a pre-Columbine SRO. And I stood in the attendance office at Derby High School as an SRO and watched all of that play out on TV. Oh, and so that was one of the things that was a big problem with Columbine. Officers were responding, had no idea where to go. Uh, you know, think about, um, you know, you have the fire system going off. You had smoke in the hallway. They couldn't hear. They couldn't see. They, were, they weren't sure which hallway they were in. So these maps would help a command post get on the radio and guide them where yeah. they need to go through those hallways to get to where the threat is or to help people. So is that just connected to the address so the responding officer can just like click a button and the map pops up on the call right. screen? Right, just like apartment person. buildings. If there's, you know, look how big some of your apartment buildings around are, you know, if you I can go to, it's an apartment 422. Well, what building is that? And what tower or whatever it might be. It's the same thing to okay. guide them to find that apartment easier. Okay. Does anybody ever get down to labeling windows? Well, we have them labeled at the high school. Um, and th those are labeled for a couple of different reasons. And we're still working on getting the middle schools uh, labeled. And that, that's for um, first responders. Again, uh, I, was a, I was a SWAT team operator for, for almost 25 years as well. And sometimes we need to breach windows. We're not always going to come through the door. Right. Say we. They, now I always say we anymore, but they <laughs> will not always come through a door. They may breach a window. Or um, they may do a dual breach, which means they do door and window. Right. Um, a lot of times dual breaches work really well when it's distracting somebody to try to get into a room. Um, or, you know, even snipers, make sure they're setting up on the correct classroom or, right. or that type of thing as well. Or right. maybe we would breach the classroom next to where the situation is, is to get set up to be in that. That happens sometimes as well. So we want to make sure we're getting into the right classroom and, and we know where it's isolated from the outside. Okay. But think about fire. There's a fire. There's never been a fire in a U.S. school in almost 100 years, but there was a fire and, and kids were trapped in C-22. Fire could immediately find that classroom, breach that window and get kids out. Yeah, that's fantastic. So basically, you just walk around thinking about all the worst thing that could happen and how can we make that not as bad? 
all that all the time. And, you know, educators just don't think that way. Right. They, they don't think, you know, blood, guts and gore and all the bad things that can happen. It's something that runs through my mind um, a lot. And the example, the story I give when I'm when I'm using instructing is years ago when I was a SRO supervisor, we had kids that wanted to do a walkout as a protest. And the high school decided, we're not going to stop them. We're going to let them do that. And they were just going to let them walk down to our practice field. And so I said to the principal, hey, before we do this, I want to check the parking lot to make sure there's no IEDs in any cars. Right. And he looked at me like I had a horn growing out of my head. <laughs> and then one of, our, one of my SROs is, happens to be the sniper on our SWAT team. And I actually put him on a, an area above our football field. Because I'm thinking, in my mind, if I'm going to do some damage and I want to hurt kids... They're in what we would call the Marine Corps in defilade, which is down below, and they would have the advantage of the high ground being able right. to shoot the kids onto the onto the field. So these are things that educators just don't think about that I think about every single day. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think about video security and how does that fit into this? Because it, it seems like it's a lot of times just used after the fact, you know, um, is it a huge deterrent? It is, you know, and, I, and I've watched the progression of us. I mean, in fact, I was an SRO in 1996. So imagine the technology for video cameras. I mean, the video camera in my patrol car was a VCR in the trunk. I mean, that was that was what right. we used for video cameras in our patrol cars. But it, it is a deterrent. Kids know that they're on video. Um, and over the years, I've watched like case law for how you can use the video and, and what you should be using it for and and things like that have, have changed as well. Cause you know, you still need to protect the other students that are in and around that. Um, but it is a deterrent. Kids know, and kids know right. sometimes where the cameras aren't. So um, those are the areas that we know that if you have security or an SRO or a principal that they need to maybe patrol a little bit more. Right. So, but when a kid does something and even after the fact, we get the video, we look at it and we go back and we're like, Hey, got you on video. That word kind of passes with other students. Like, yeah, I did this and they got me on video and that's how I got caught. Right. It, it is a deterrent because the kids talk and they, they know that everybody's watching and that we yeah. can easy. What about just the crazy dude off the street though? That he like wanders on the campus or something? Yeah, just, you know. It, it's helped us with some trespass stuff where we've had some guys come on the campus and we've helped the police department or the sheriff's office because sheriff patrols a couple of our schools as well in our district. And um, the, it's helped um, with identifying them to do like trespass notifications, say you can't come back, um, that type of thing as well. So right. even like your homeless population, you you know, I, I know a lot of people, you know, want to support some of the homeless people we have, but they can't be hanging around on school campuses. And we, right. we just can't let that happen. Um, right. And so we got, if, maybe we, that's a way to identify and help uh, homeless outreach to say, hey, we, we've got this person that's that's hanging out on our campus and we, we, you guys need to do something about this because we, we can't have them hanging out at school here. So. Right, right. So I know, you know, the current trend of secure vestibules as you enter schools, um, you know, key swipe access cards, all of that. But I guess let's talk about that a little bit because there's still that time in the morning where the doors are open, you know. <laughs> and, um, now you have a lot of staff at those times typically around those openings and that kind of thing. But Maybe just lead us through from kind of your experience or things you've heard about just how big a difference does do those secure vestibules make? And I guess what I'm talking about is like, 
you buzz somebody in, but they they can't get past the vestibule without being buzzed through another door to get into the office. They just don't, and they have to go through the office to get to the school. Right. Um, you know, I've seen the progression of that, like being a pre-call by an SRO. I, I remember back in 1986, 1987 saying, hey, we need to lock all the doors but one and make people come in this one door. And they all just thought I was nuts. You know, right. and then Columbine happens. They're like, hey, that, that might be a good idea. And so we've seen that trend change. The, the secure vestibule came from Sandy Hook. And the big problem was he shot through the glass and got right in. So right. even if, let's say, somebody were to try to do that and shoot through the glass, they'd have to shoot through again. That would give us time to get locked down, get police on the way. Um, you know, that, that, that was a big delay in getting first responders to that situation. So that's the part of the idea behind it. The other part of the idea behind it is crime prevention itself and, and SEPTED, the concept itself, has a lot to do with perception. So if the perception is it's difficult to get into this school, and I tell our staff all the time, I say, have you ever tried to check your kid out at Derby High School? It's a pain, isn't it? Like trying to go in to get them, they're like, oh my gosh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't ever go in there because it's too complicated. That's exactly what we want. We want the perception that it's difficult to get in this building to get to any kids. Right. And so perception has a lot to do with that as well. But you, we know that with before school activities and, and doors that are open, we, we have to have those adult presence there. That's access control as well. If somebody's standing there, an adult, and challenging people that are coming, who, who are you and why, are you, why do you want to come in here? Um, right. That's where we get a lot of, um, they, they have to have the physical presence to be there as well. If it's not going to be a mechanical solution, that's got to be, you know, a, a procedural solution, meaning we have to have people there. Right. Yeah. You know, I think perception is an interesting thing because we were, I know we were talking earlier, but, you know, just this broken window theory or debris around the property. Um, I guess, I don't know, tell us a little bit about the broken window theory and then how, like as a maintenance group or a custodial group, how we can impact that. Okay. Yeah. If you ask typically any police officer, what's the broken window theory? The, any crime prevention class I've ever taken in college or in the academy or wherever, they're going to tell you right away what it is. And basically what the broken window theory is, is if you're in a, let's say a warehouse district or, or a business area and there's a w broken window and nobody repairs that window and they leave it broken, then that means that that's inviting more vandalism. It's inviting more graffiti because they know nobody takes care of the property. So what we try to do is the term we use in crime prevention is territoriality or sense of ownership. If, if a place looks like it's being taken care of, that people will leave it alone. So, um, you know, for example, the example I use all the time is that I tell people when I got married, I've been married for 35 years. And when I got married, I hit the jackpot and I hit the jackpot for two reasons. Number one, my wife's allergic to cats. <laughs> one thing, I'll never have a cat in my house. Sorry if there's any cat lovers out there, but. <laughs> and, and number two, my wife does all the mowing. And she does a fat, I have the nicest yard in the neighborhood. And if you walk down the sidewalk, you would never step into my grass. Yeah. And I ask people, why? Why would you never step in my grass? Well, because it's manicured and it's taken care of and it's just a beautiful lawn. I don't want to. It's kind of the same concept. If you're taking care of something, people are going to respect it. And I love telling the story. This is a true story. I don't know if I ever told you this or not. But when I was a school resource officer supervisor, I would go around to all the schools and I pulled up to Derby High School one day and the principal at Derby High School, Tim Hamlin, gets out of his truck 
and he's walking in the main entrance. That's kind of a long walk to get from the parking lot to, and it had been storming the night before and I'm following him and I watch him walk off the sidewalk, go into the wet grass in a suit, pick up a Sonic cup, comes back onto the pavement, stomps his dress shoes off, throw, and walks in and throws the piece of trash in the, in the trash can. And that made a huge impression on me that if the head principal of our high school can walk in the wet grass and pick up a piece of trash, he obviously does what? He cares about the campus. It's not uh -huh. just a job to him. He, he really cares about how Derby High School looks. And he made such an impression on me that every time I walk up to a school now, if I see a piece of trash, I pick it up. Right. Um, and the story I was telling you years ago, I was walking into one of our schools. This is several years ago. And I picked up a piece of trash and I walked in the school. I had it in my hand and I'm looking around for the trash can that used to be there. And I asked the secretaries, if one of them hands me a trash can here, you can put it in here. I'm like, where's the trash can? Oh, they removed it. Who removed it? So I get the custodian up there. I go, you need to put that trash can back. And they were like, well, who's going to dump it? Well, yeah, you're going to dump it because that's your job. Right. Because what I noticed is there's a lot more trash throughout the front yard of the school. Because if you take a kid that has a monster can in their hand and they look around for a trash can and can't find one, they're just going to throw it on the ground. Yeah. So we need to have those receptacles out there. We need to make sure that our, our people are doing that. Um, the other complaint was, well, it, it gets a bunch of bees in it because they want the sweet stuff. For, well, if you dump it, the bees right. won't be in there. So right. those are just little things from a maintenance standpoint that go a long way with how a campus looks. When you pull up to it, I mean, what's your impression? Like, what's your impression of that building? If you've never been there before, immediately, what's your impression? Right. When I teach these SEPTED courses and we go out to a school and we actually do an assessment, I tell them, I want to know what it is. As soon as you step out of your vehicle and look at this building, if you've never been here, what's your immediate impression of this building? It goes, goes a long way what everybody else thinks um, of that particular building. Right. And I think it's true. Like if people pull up and it's like, man, this place looks like it's taken care of. There's going to be people here that are going to challenge me if I'm trying to do some harm or I'm trying to do vandalism. You know, there's people here that care. and They're not going to let it happen. Um, yeah. There's actually, I heard this called the clean syndrome also that we were looking at it from a custodial standpoint, but we've seen it happen is that when you improve the cleanliness of your building, people help you keep it clean. So, and we've witnessed that, like we changed some cleaning procedures, the building got cleaner. The kids aren't throwing as much trash on the hallways as there used to be. Um, the staff's helping maintain and keep their classrooms cleaner. Um, so it's that same kind of idea. I heard something about trash too one time that at Disney, they figured out that people will walk 12 steps to put something like that, some number, 12 or 20 steps to a trash can. If it's longer than that, they'll just throw it off on the sidewalk. Yeah. And so if you go to Disney, I mean, there's trash cans within sight of pretty much everywhere you are. And then you look at their campus and it's spotless. Like, right. like people well, are we, throwing we, we, we redid our we stadium. We added more trash cans to the stadium when we redid that. And it, it, it stays a lot cleaner than the old stadium did. Right. That, so. Right. That is, I had never thought about that, that, you know, there's, if the perception of the building is it's solid, it's well-maintained, it's clean, that that would be enough to maybe deter somebody because it's not as easy of a tar target potentially in their mind. 
Yeah, and that and that's the term we use in crime prevention a lot too. It's called target hardening, meaning that if you're thinking about breaking into a house and you look at my house and it has lots of lights and a security system and a big dog barking, that's too hard. I'm going to go break into my neighbor's house because they have no lights. They got a chihuahua or whatever it might be, or a cat. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so it's a little easier to break into your house. I mean, so it's the same thing with schools. If we make it a hard target, we want them to go somewhere else to to right. do whatever they're going to do because it looks too hard and they're going to get caught. So target right. hard. Day to, day to day, we deal with vandalism and bullying and um, that thing more than we ever deal with the bad stuff. But all of what we're talking about really could impact both really bad things and just our normal day to day stuff. So, And that's the thing I've always liked working about in this district is even um, the superintendent that was here before this one here, um, he was... I would say, hey, we, we need to add trash cans or we need to, you know, close bathrooms when they get vandalized until they get fixed. I mean, he was, yes, if you, this is what the stuff we, he was always very supportive and you know, as well as I do, the superintendent we have now, she's very supportive of us right. doing those things to make sure that it looks that way. So, yeah. Well, I think we all lived through the TikTok challenges of a couple of years ago where, you know, we couldn't keep a soap dispenser on the wall. Um, but it's even that, like, as soon as it comes down, replace it, you know, because otherwise they'll just find something else to vandalize when they think people aren't taking care of it. So, yeah, well, eventually what we did at the high school was we took them all out at the high school and we put the hand sanitizer ones propped to one of those stands up by the right. door. And they're like, well, I don't wash my hands. Well, you can just use hand sanitizer because we're tired of these getting stolen. Right. And then when it kind of died down, we put them all back, but it, right. it kind of deterred it for a while. Because now they had to walk out and do their hands in the hallway where everybody can see them doing it. So. Yeah. I think one of the things that probably a lot of operations guys get pulled into is, you know, trying to put some kind of technology or something in to help with vaping. Um, have, in your experience, like, have you found, is there a solution to that? Um, or is when it... I, yeah, when I, when I travel, it's been the quite the topic the last couple of years. And I, you know, I've probably been in, 12 different states with training SROs in the last two to three years, probably. And they're all say the same thing. They all are having the same problem. Um, the kids are figuring like at the beginning, they had a lot of success with the vape detectors and then kids started figuring out how to defeat them. Right. They would put wet toilet paper around them and then you're out 1200 bucks a sensor or whatever it might be. So uh, I know they have like an alarm on them to say, if somebody tampers with them, it'll, it'll set it off an alarm, that kind of a thing mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think we have seen a little bit of success with the vape detectors. Kids think or know we have them. That's that's another thing that's that's a big deterrent. Um, I, I talked to SROs that put fake ones in. They took right. old fire, um, they took old um, smoke detectors that weren't working anymore, took the batteries out of them and just mounted them in the bathrooms and told kids they were vape detectors. And that kind of slowed it down a little bit and they weren't real. Um, right. I've seen, I've seen all kinds of different things that people talk about when I'm doing these classes. Um, I, I think the physical presence of principals, SRO security, I mean, they need to be going in and checking those bathrooms as well. Um, uh -huh. I also believe, you know, we've had some success with closing bathrooms. All right, which, which bathrooms are you having the most problems in? Well, it's O-Hall bathroom. Let's close them. And right. kids go, how, how come I got to walk, you know, two halls over to go to the bathroom? Well, tell your friends to stop vaping in the bathroom. Right. So we've done that before too, and just closed bathrooms. Um, and that's cut down on it uh, a little bit as well. But yeah, you look at Derby High School with 
2,100 students, almost 2,200 students, they, they get a vape a day. Right. Just walking yeah. into right. Yeah. It's a, it's an epidemic. And I think a lot of people, my generation don't understand unless you're in a school building, how big of an epidemic it is. It is. And yeah. It's very difficult to try to control. So I feel for our young people that are being faced with those kind of challenges, but um, yeah. Yeah. anyway, well, anything else you want to cover off related to safety and security? No, I mean, I just, I've always been, and if you know me, I've always been a firm believer in, you know, the maintenance side. And and I'm really big into septed concept, kind of a septed nerd. I say a lot. I'm only one of like three instructors in the nation that even teach this because I, I just love it so much. So anytime our company gets a course like that, I just, I, I want that one. Like I'm always taking them because I'm the one that I like, I just like teaching it because I've seen over the years, the effect of trimming trees and, and cleaning up maintenance and, and having trash cans and, you know, um, access control and better lighting and all those things. And I've seen how it's affected a campus and made the campus much better. Yeah. So um, you guys in the position you're in have a big stake in that. Cause I, I run into SROs that say, well, yeah, I, I want to get these things done, but the guy that's in, ch in charge of operations or maintenance, he, you know, he, he doesn't see the value in it. And so I can't get a lot of cooperation uh, from that person. So right. um, I think it's important that they, you, know, you guys in the job that you're in, Burke, you, that you understand how important it is to school safety, not just the smooth operation of a district. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's great advice. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on and joining me on this. Um, I know I learned some things that even though I kind of knew, but we never had really talked about it. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, and if anybody wants to get a hold of you, like what's the best way for them to do that? Probably email the, um, if you want to provide it, but it's mliston at usd260.com. I'm happy to help anybody. I really am. Uh, superintendent here, she's very forthcoming with using me and let me be used. I mean, she's like, if you want to go help somebody, go help. But um, I, I said a while back, part of the reason I've been doing the national training thing for almost 25 years now. And the reason why I love it so much is I feel like every state and city that I go to, I'm helping kid, keep kids safe in that city by training these officers. And that's what's really kind of still drives me to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's where we all do our jobs. I and mean, I've talked to tons of guys and like, that's why they're doing this job is to help kids learn, help them be successful, keep them safe. So yeah, I applaud that. So yeah. great so job. If I can Matt. help them in any way, I'd be happy to do it. Well, thank you so much. So, so I end every episode with three quick questions. Okay. okay. So what would your parents or your family say that you do for a living? How would they describe um, it? They probably, well, my mom always wants to tell everybody that I would make sure they tell them I was a police officer. Yeah. At one time. But that they tell them that I'm in, in charge of safety for Derby Public Schools. Yeah. Very so, good. I would guess hey, and I don't blame your mom. I'd be bragging about that every day, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, you, you like using paper or are you like a digital guy with your to-do list and your planning and stuff? Definitely paper. As a matter of fact, if you look in my office, if I show you, I've got notes and stuff everywhere, but it's organized chaos. It looks like it's just scribbles, but... I'm a paper guy. You sure. still use your little thing that you had as a cop where you flip it out and start writing notes? Yeah, still got one handy always somewhere. I'm always handwriting notes. So, yeah. 
So when do you get your best work done? Like mornings, afternoons, evenings? Like when do you get like high productive work done? I would say probably mid mornings. I, I think I need the first part of the day to get settled in and at least get half of my coffee drink. <laughs> <laughs> I hear but, you. Yeah. So I, I think probably mid morning, once I get the coffee rolling, I get settled. And I think that's, I'm not real good right out of the gate. You know, sometimes I have to be, but I would rather like it, have an hour or so to get settled and then get going. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it and um, appreciate everything you do to keep our students safe and the training you do around the country. So great job. All right. Thank you.